Hey, listening family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry, help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth, to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Today, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 3, with a message titled, The Demands and the Appointments. You start to say, Lord, I'm going to be available. I not only want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I want to love my neighbor truly as myself. Have you prayed that? If you pray that prayer, get ready for God to test your love and your patience. What we have before us is we have the master of the universe, Jesus God in human flesh who's going to show us what it's like to manage a crisis situation. And what's before us is an an incredible section about the love of God on display and how beautifully he loved people, how patient he was. But he was also modeling that love for others. And when we just had the chance of sharing in the baby dedication with the Morrow family, One of the great things that we do as parents and grandparents is we try to model that love. And I know that all of us could say we failed maybe many, many times in doing that correctly. But the key is to have the love of God flowing through us so that he can touch the world through us. You have one life and you get to decide what you want to do with it. And so this morning we're going to get some help on how to navigate these times. Well, we can certainly see Jesus' heart as he moves through the gospel, and we can also get a better handle on our own lives and the pressures that we face. This is verse 7, Mark 3. And Jesus withdrew, anakoreo is the Greek word for withdrew, I'll explain it in a second, to the sea with his disciples. And a great multitude from Galilee followed, and also from Judea. Now, Jesus withdrawing, anakoreo, is a Greek word which sometimes describes escaping danger. And in many ways, Jesus was in danger. Mark 3, 6, the verse before where we started says, and the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians. They were in league with the Herods against him as to how they might destroy him. And Jesus was doing these incredible miracles. He was touching people. One of the great scenes that we've already studied is the paralytic being lowered down through the ceiling where they dug the hole. And Jesus Christ looks at the man and says, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, that was blasphemy. By the way, the sin of blasphemy, and Jesus never sinned. He didn't blaspheme. He was God, and that's why he had the ability to forgive sins on the earth. But they thought he was blaspheming. By the way, blasphemy was punishable by death. They were very angry with Jesus at the things that he was doing, that his followers were not following the fasting rules of the tradition of the elders and the scribes. And then they were picking the grain on the Sabbath day and eating the grain, and they were being accused. Why do you let your disciples do that? They're breaking the Sabbath day. 
And then a man with a withered hand. Remember, he was probably uh, a plant by them to see if Jesus would reach out to him and they knew that Jesus would have compassion. And the man with a withered hand is a picture of the nation dry and dead in their sins and trespasses. And Jesus tells the man, stretch out your hand. That's what the nation needed to do. They needed to stretch out their hand to Almighty God who was among them. And maybe some of you, you feel like that's how your life is right now. It's kind of dry and withered up. And the Lord's saying, stretch out your hand. I'm gonna stretch mine out to you. Will you stretch yours to me? I can touch dry lives. I can touch people who feel dead inside. I can touch marriages and bring them back to life again. Will you allow my resurrection power to come in and even take what you think could be dead and make it alive again. And Jesus healed him. And on the heels of that healing, that's why they were so upset. They could not celebrate the healing. They were more concerned about thinking he had broken the Sabbath day. And they wanted, verse six, end of verse six says, to destroy him. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. Now, Jesus knew what was going on. He knew that that was their game plan. He knew that that was their MO. Imagine living your life where you have a ton of people coming to you, you have demons recognizing who you are and coming up and proclaiming your name and maybe in a weak attempt to try to gain mastery over you, which I'll explain in a second, and you have a whole group of religious leaders who are plotting your demise, just watching you to give them another reason to destroy you. That's a life of pressure. You have disciples who are arguing about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom. You have a man among you who you know is a devil. He's been a devil from the beginning and he will be plotting to betray you the night before you die. He will actually carry it out. And you have another man who's leading the whole group who suffers from foot and mouth disease. He often says the wrong thing at the wrong time, but he is strong. His name is Peter. (laughs) Hoof and mouth disease, some of you can relate to that. Anyway, And this is the band of people he's dealing with. He's in a broken world. He's in a world that's largely covered with spiritual darkness. And he's come to bring light to it. But there are many people who don't understand his mission. He knows he's living always in the shadow of the cross. And now he has these people that want to destroy him. This is what's going on. And Jesus now moves, verse 7, if you look again, he withdrew to the sea with his disciples. Many scholars say the sea represents that which is unpredictable and that which is even dangerous. But the sea also was a place of comfort and refuge where they, these fishermen fished and sometimes where Jesus would get away from the crowds. And he withdrew. He escaped to the sea with his disciples, verse seven. And a great multitude from Galilee followed and also from Judea. Now, if uh, I don't know if we have the map back there, guys. Okay, so here's a map. And um, this is... If you look at the map, this is wonderful. This is a kid's map. This is what I was drawn to. Anyway, so if you look down in the south, there's the area of Judea there and the Dead Sea. And if you just follow it up to the north, you'll see Galilee in the middle. That's the Sea of Galilee in the upper middle of the map. And so people were coming from Judea all the way in the south. They were coming from Jerusalem, uh, kind of the, you know, right there in the, in the southern part, but the the religious capital, they were coming from the coast, they were coming from everywhere, and the area was densely populated, and scholars are saying that when Jesus is being followed by people from all these different sections, there's probably tens of thousands of people following him. 
In fact, you're all familiar with the feeding of the 5,000 and you know that that's plus women and children. So there are scholars that say you just have the men counted there, 5,000 men plus women and children is as many as 15 to 20,000 people. That's a big crowd. You know, if you looked around you right now and you could imagine trying to feed all the people that are in this room, there's about 300 of us in this room right now. Can you imagine trying to figure out how to take care of 3,000, 6,000? Can you imagine how many desperate people were trying to get to the front of the line? How many tough decisions Jesus had to make about who do I prioritize, who do I talk to next? You ever been in a crowd where people are trying to get to the front of the line and there's a desperate feeling in the room? Jesus dealt with that all the time. Now he's got the pressure of them wanting to kill him, so he withdraws to the sea. There's people flocking, verse eight, from Jerusalem, from Idumea, Beyond the Jordan, that's the Transjordan vicinity, so that's on the east side of the Jordan. And the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, which is the northwest coast, a great multitude heard of all that he was doing and came to him. When he surveyed the crowds, I wonder what went through the mind of the master. Because he was able to know what the motives of people's hearts were. And with all these people coming and all these different people groups there, tens of thousands of people, I wonder how many times he just surveyed the crowd and measured the motive. Do they only follow me because they know I can heal them of something? Can they think in bigger uh, pictures and bigger strokes? Can they think about the kingdom of God and that which really matters amidst all the pressure and the demands of just the immediate on their lives? People were coming from long distances. The trip from Jerusalem to the Galilee region was 100 miles, and many people had to do it on foot. Can you imagine hearing about this Messiah and traveling for 100 miles, maybe with a terrible physical condition, only to get to him and then to see this huge crowd, and it's almost impossible to reach him? There had to be a lot of desperate people, a lot of cranky people. You've all dealt with cranky people, amen? Amen. Sometimes at a holiday dinner, right? 10 people around the table and someone's a little extra time over the potatoes. And boy, that's all it takes. See people getting a little upset. (laughs) Little in the flesh. And so he told his disciples, look at verse nine, Mark three, that a boat should stand ready for him because of the multitudes in order that they might not crowd him. And when you read these uh, accounts, remember that Jesus is 100% God, but he's also what? 100% man. And he did experience stress. And when he had huge crowds coming at him, imagine if you could put yourself in his sandals just for a moment. And of course, we can't be him, nor will we ever be him. But if you could imagine just putting yourself in his sandals for an hour, with tens of thousands of people coming desperately to you to try to find a way to touch you. You know, I know you've all had hectic weeks and bad days and stressful times, and it seems like, you know, I know for moms, it seems like everybody's vying and pulling for your attention, and you go from one emergency to the next, and you're, you're feeling like, man, life can be overwhelming sometimes. Well, when you go to your high priest, ladies, Jesus, in Hebrews 4, He can empathize. He can sympathize with someone who's in a company with a uh, staff that's been diminished and scaled down to numbers where it becomes almost impossible to get your job done. 
And you come to the end of the day and the stack seems to be bigger than it was before. And you're like, what do I do now? Do I tell my boss I can't handle the workload? This is real life. And you have a great high priest over the house of God who understands what it's like to be under demands that are so overwhelming it seemed almost impossible to deal with them all. And he's gonna give us some tools here, but the first tool is kind of a neat thing. He had a getaway boat ready. By, by the way, this, isn't this pretty funny? This would be like being at a place where you were doing some things and you had a car running and someone, <laughs> and hopefully nothing illegal, but you had a getaway car running and waiting for you just in case you had to get away. I guess movie stars can relate to this. You know, sometimes they show up at places and they get mobbed by these fans. Uh, you know, I, I don't quite understand it, but you know, can, I just, I just want to touch him. I need to get his autograph, right? And so they sometimes have a car waiting so they can just get away. Well, Jesus had a boat waiting <laughs> because of the multitude. You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. And trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. He said, and again, this is the only insight that uh, we get from uh, one gospel writer. Mark alone gives it to us. And the NIV says, because of the crowds, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. I don't know if any of you have adopted this as your normal mode of existence. You always have a getaway plan. Not, not great. <laughs> but anyway, Jesus did it for legitimate reasons. And that was, he didn't want to be crushed by the crowd. That they might not crowd him. Look at verse uh, 9. Literally, the Greek word here for crowd is crush. It's a form of the, the Greek word flipsis, which means to press, to squash, to hem in, to be in a narrow place. Figuratively, the word means to afflict, harass, and it has the nuance of discomfort. The idea here is that Jesus was thinking, you know, I don't know what these people might do, so just in case, (laughs) we need to get away, right? That's what he was dealing with, folks, all the time. People crowding around him, pressuring him, and this Greek word, thlipsis, is used many times in the Bible. In fact, it's a promise that Jesus gave, and he said, in this world, you will have thlipsis, you will have tribulation, you will have trouble. You will feel pressure in this world. But be of good cheer, I have what? Overcome the world. So whenever you're feeling those times, it would appear that the Bible's saying, look afresh to Jesus and his victory how he overcame all of these things. For he had healed many, verse 10, with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed about him in order to touch him. The picture is one of wild disorder. 
pushing forward to touch him. Literally, people were falling and jostling for position and trying just to get somewhere near him that they might receive a healing from his hand. The scene is people falling down at his feet who were possessed by unclean spirits. Look at verse 11. Whenever the unclean spirits beheld him, they would fall down before him and cry out saying, you are the son of God. The unclean spirits were drawn, says Hughes, by a strange fascination to see Jesus. Even though they knew he was their conqueror, in their view, the hated son of God, somehow terror and malice drove them to his presence. These evil spirits, malevolent, obscene, sinister, had wrought bodily injury, psychological trauma, and immense spiritual harm to their victims. And yet, people who were possessed or demonized were falling before him. Imagine the crowd now, tens of thousands of people, Pharisees in the corner taking notes to try to get his demise. People coming desperate to bring a loved one, someone you know, maybe on the verge of death, people on stretchers, people trying to get at him, falling over each other, and then people demon-possessed falling down and saying, you're the son of God! Can you imagine what a crazy scene this was? Jesus would definitely need a vacation after this day, but he had days like this all the time, back to back to back to back. Ray Steadman tells of a story where he talked with a girl who had fallen into the practice of using a Ouija board. He says it eventuated in her hearing voices that demanded that she write things down before she could go to sleep at night. Listen to these words. Invariably, what she had to write was moral filth, obscenities, ugly, evil words. Sometimes she would have to write pages of them before the voices would cease and she could go to sleep. This is a mark of the kind of spirits that these were. We have a wonderful sister in the congregation and she's been helping out with the youth group and she's a wonderful woman of God and she wrote this note to the elders and pastors this last week. She said, I wanted to take a moment to share with you what I witnessed last night during the youth group worship night. By the way, when we get notes like this, this is usually when we get ready for a negative criticism I want you to know what I saw and what you guys need to fix in the church. That's usually what follows, but that's not what this is about. She said, this may be a little winded, but I felt necessary to send to you. I know that most of you don't really know me or know my background. I will fill you in just a little about me and how I grew up because I feel it's relevant to this email. I was raised by what contemporary America calls a witch, a white witch. I grew up with no father, and a mother who prayed and chanted to the powers of the universe of the elements. There was never any mention of God in our home, ever. There were spirits in my house my entire life. Things moved around, chairs were turned upside down. Lights off and on. Psychics and psychic readings, tarot cards, etc. This was my daily normal. However, for me, I always knew something was wrong with this. When my mother would have would have chanting parties, that's what I called them. I would hide away in my room, knowing bad feelings were going to be coming soon. As a child and young teenager, I never felt like I was part of anything at all or that I fit. I didn't fit in with my mom and her beliefs or my siblings. I had no one to talk to me about truth, which, is, which in turn led to a lot more heartache that is not necessary for this email. Anyway, this may be why I have such a heart for the youth and young adults. I don't know, but but why I am telling you this is because last night during worship, I was brought to tears. 
Not only was I brought to tears, but a piece of me, that little girl, was healed a little last night as well. And I need to say thank you. She addresses Pastor Brian, our youth pastor. You may or may not know the impact that you had last night with the youth, but I do. I witnessed it. I watched the Lord move through a tiny room and touch kids in a mighty way. And in turn, they were reaching out to the person next to them. I stood in the back of the room and was able to witness these kids come together all in the name of Jesus. I watched them pray together. I watched them cry. I watched them walk across the room to someone who was sitting alone. And I watched them reach out a hand to that person and pray for them. I watched as Shane was able to keep the worship active and alive in a way that urged these kids to keep encouraging, keep praising, and keep loving. I stood there in tears as this was happening. These kids you are teaching and learning the love, uh, the love of the Lord at the most important age, you are that vessel that God is using to do that. It was absolutely beautiful, and I am honored that I was able to witness it. I think at times people forget to tell people when they witness something beautiful. I felt it necessary to let my church pastors know what I witnessed last night and what an amazing work goes on upstairs, close quote. That's pretty cool, isn't it? This is what, if you step back from this scene and took a look, this is the kind of email you might write. Maybe you'd write this email to Mary, (laughs) the mother of Jesus. Maybe you'd write an email and say, I want you to know what I witnessed, what your son was doing. How many people were touched? What a crazy scene he had to deal with. And how majestically and beautifully and wonderfully he handled it all. Wherever Jesus was and all the beauty that he was doing, it seemed that the demonic was not far away. People pressed in just to try and touch him, but amidst that was always the devil working. It seems like wherever God is working, the devil is not far away. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. The word for shudder is a Greek word which literally means to bristle like a frightened cat. In the early uh, chapters of the Gospel of Mark, the only ones that are identifying Jesus as the Son of God, sadly and ironically, are the demons. And the fact that they believe God is one is from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The demons are orthodox in their theology. They're the ones coming up, and it's probably a vain attempt to gain mastery over him, and here's how this works. What they would do in the ancient world is they thought if they called somebody by their name, they could gain mastery over them, but they couldn't gain mastery over Jesus. He would tell them, be quiet. I don't need your endorsement. Sometimes when you read your Bible, you wonder, well, why does Jesus try to shut things like this down? Because he doesn't need the devil's endorsement. His miracles already testify to who he is. Would to God that other people there started to put it together, even when the demon said it and said, hmm, maybe he is the son of God. But so many people just enthralled with their own personal needs and personal agendas could not see what even the demons could see. And he earnestly, verse 12, warned them not to make him known. A wild scene. You see, Jesus Christ, 
knows what all of us go through. Now look at verse 13, the text transitions. It says, and he went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted and they came to him. Now amidst all this pressure, all that's going on, and I think from the other gospels, we might get the idea that he went up to the mountain, prayed and came back and dealt with the crowds. Went up to the mountain and came back and dealt with the crowds. And here's principle number one, application point number one. It's this, and I've already given you a first point by asking God to widen your heart to love him and love others, but here's an application point. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's okay to get away. It's okay to get away. Some of you need to hear that about 10 times until you'll accept it. How many of you have ever gone on a vacation and the first two to three days of that vacation, you don't know what to do with yourself? Because you're so used to dealing with all your devices. I gotta, I gotta call him back. I gotta do that. And then you realize, wait a minute, I'm on vacation. <laughs> should, I, should I call the, no, 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 no. Should I check on the kids? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> They'll be fine. Jesus went up to the mountain. It's okay to get away. You've got to allow yourself a time to rest and recuperate. Amen? You've got to allow yourself times when you just find a respite. But it's not just about getting away. We are in the study of Mark to where there's news about Jesus and it was spread and he was far more popular than the Beatles of his time. <laughs> Amen. This part of the chapter, the part of the book, he is assigning or he's choosing men to be his apostles. Is there anything you can share with us to what makes these people a lot more special? What is so special about these people that he chose to be with him? You know, I don't know, Oscar, uh, what made them special other than the choice that the shepherd chose them. You know, Jesus said in the book of John, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I chose you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. I, I think even, you know, we can debate the theological perspectives about, uh, you know, God's uh, choosing and predestination and free will and all of that. But I think anybody who has the privilege of hearing the gospel and knowing that God so loved them and then coming into a relationship with the Lord it's such a blessing because what he wants to do, Oscar, is adopt you into his family and uh, make you his own. And I think that that is a great honor. You, you know, I have a, I have some family that just recently adopted a child. And um, the day that that adoption became official, he's just a little guy. Um, I'm not sure he really realized everything that was going on. But for those parents, it was all driven by love, all driven by uh, that being such a beautiful picture of the gospel. And, you know, in addition to that, you think about the apostles and you think about, you know, Jesus had a plan for each one of them. And that plan was to be an ambassador of the gospel. And so you and I are sitting here behind microphones. We probably never could have imagined, you know, 20, 30 years ago that we would be doing this. But he chose us uh, for a specific purpose to walk in the good works that he prepared. So I, I think in that way, you could say, I feel special that he would choose me for any service. Um, but in another way, I'm not that special because I know what he got mm -hmm. when, when he chose me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab.
You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.